Welcome back to the Soapbox Business Show. I'm your host, Mario Busto, alongside... Zachary, your other host. Welcome. All right. Today, guys, we have a special guest, somebody I've been wanting to talk to since we met on a future pro group networking call on AirMeet. Uh, his name is Kevin Yee. He's a digital marketer, YouTube creator, and an inbound sales strategist, owner of a boutique inbound sales advisory called Kaizen Closing, as well as an education company called Refugee Hustle, where he helps provide practical education to help entrepreneurial creators get paid doing what they love. Oh, and to top on all that, he's also an ex-pharmacist, so just like no no biggie, just like humble brag. He also can just, uh, you know, he's a doctor for God's sake. So let's introduce him. Kevin, welcome to the show. Dude, what a sick intro, man. That's my first impression. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys. Oh, of Thank course, you. brother. Of course. We actually met Zach on an air meet. I don't know if Kevin remembers that, but the vibe was so good. Like just talking to him, it was just like a refreshing combo. And um, mm. yeah, I wanted to get to know more about him because he's, um, he's a YouTube content creator. But I like what he says better. He's a creatorpreneur. I kind of want to like hijack that term. I like him. that term. I was like, I was wondering, <laughs> is that out there? Did that already exist or did he coin that? I stole it from Ali Abdal, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. I stole it from him. All right. Kev, can you give us like kind of set the stage a little bit, you know, give the audience a little background on, I know this is tough to do, but on who you are and what you're doing currently. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you a brief background. Um, so as you mentioned in the intro, I used to be a pharmacist. I got really burnt out in my career. Like you think that, oh, being a pharmacist is like the ideal like job and stuff like that. But for me, like once I got into it, I got really burnt out. I got really depressed. Um, and it was like turning me into a person I didn't really like. So about five years ago, I took the leap of faith. I just like, I don't want to do this anymore. My dad passed away and I was just like, I'm just going to figure this entrepreneur thing out. And prior to this, I was taking like things like copywriting courses and digital marketing courses and stuff. But the one thing that always scared the crap out of me was selling. Um, do you know anything about like copywriting, by the way, at all? I think I have a like a generalist approach. I know when I see good copywriting, but I'm not necessarily a copywriter myself. Yeah, oh, same here. Same here. Yeah. My, my my focus is more on UX writing than than copywriting, but I yeah. I try to not dabble in it. I, I hate writing myself. I do I do <laughs> enjoy writing. By the way, I would consider yeah. myself someone who writes, and that's yeah. uh, I would consider that a strength. But I haven't ever focused on how to write good copy. I haven't really. Mm. No. So I would say no. I would say no. Well, do you know how much a seven series email sequence would go for these days? No idea. It's probably like a thousand, two thousand. It's like a, a thousands, pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. My first sequence is a warm referral. My friend came up to me. He's like, dude, I really need this. I only charge a hundred bucks. You know how much my client made? Oh. 130K. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I realized I had a problem. And so I dove straight, I took a guru course, dove straight into inbound closing. Oh, got my ass kicked so many times, but you know, that was the start of my advisory. I started doing great work, and because of my pharmacy background, I knew I could learn really, really quick. And like, um, that's kind of how the advisory started. And then I started talking more on like, I had a YouTube channel during this time too, just because I love creating. And it's so fun to create vid videos and stuff. But I was just sharing my journey, and that's 
how those two things kind of blew up and it brings in so many opportunities even to this day. So, so that, um, your first run at selling something in terms of the email copywriting, that was your realization of, okay, I'm good at this because it had results, but I vastly undercharged compared to what it should have been. And that was your kind of like your pushing you into, all right, I need to learn how to sell. I need to know how to negotiate better for myself. Was that kind of how it started for you? Yeah, because I always wanted to be like an entrepreneur, right? This is like during the Gary V days where he was like just coming out and like, yeah, the clouds in the dirt and all the Gary V sayings, right? Oh, yeah, and, and then I was like, oh man, I'm not going to be a Gary V if, I, <laughs> like, if I'm selling this product for a hundred bucks, I can barely live on this. <laughs> I, I get that, man. I mean, there's two sides of the coin, right? where when i started as a video production company well i started as a creative agency and that still exists but uh as i pivoted more towards focusing on video mm. there were projects that i mean i charged so little that i look back on those invoices and i'm like i can't even compare these invoices i can't even <laughs> use this as a barometer to where i can charge today because i would literally be in the red if i went here mm -hmm. um but you know, you, the lesson is so valuable. The experience and the connections made sometimes are so valuable that it's like you need to have those bumps on the road to get to where you are now. Um, I wanted to dive a little bit into your decision to quit pharmacy and to yeah. pursue a career as, as let's say, I would say that you don't just do one thing. I think you can, you're strong in a lot of areas just based off of the little I know about you. But what really drove that decision? Because you just said now you always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I always associated pharmacy, and I, I've heard you say this too, with people go into it, it's a secure career, although some of your videos would say otherwise, I was watching yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, controversial take, yeah. Controversial. I love, I love the, the titles on your videos, man. Yeah. But uh, can you take us a little bit behind like the mindset of why you decided to, to quit? Yeah, so it's interesting. Like for me, like, you know how most people are like, I want to become a doctor when I grow up or like, I want to become like mm -hmm. a lawyer or whatever. Right. I don't think people say lawyer actually, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting, right? People said that, but for me, I've always wanted to be a pharmacist and I don't know why I just felt that inkling. And so throughout high school and in college, that was my core focus. But then during my last year of pharmacy school, so I was about like 24. It was the last semester. The hardest part of pharmacy school was already done. And I just wanted to quit. I was so close to just dropping out. And I remember going to my advisor. And I was just like, I feel like every single time I'm, I'm, I'm at the pharmacy, I'm like in a prison. Hmm. And then... You know, people will say like, hey, have you tried other routes of pharmacy? We go through something called rotations, but yeah. while some rotations were really, really cool, um, it just didn't feel right. But then like I took the advice that most people say, the, the, just like, just go through it, just try it out. And I did try it out for like five years. And during that time, it just felt like I, man, I, I've been reading this book called The Catalyst, right? It talks about the three human needs recommended my by my really good friend george bryant mm. but he um in the book it says we have three needs the need for need to be um understood the need to be consistent with our values and then the third uh third one is um 
the need for autonomy to make our own decisions. And I felt like I was dying. I can, I cannot tell you, like I started developing health problems. I started like, I was really good at what I did. I was always yeah. on top of the leaderboard and stuff like that. I was actually doing, I learned how to do cold calls actually through the pharmacy, mm. believe it or not. <laughs> it's really, really interesting, but I, I just felt so burnt out. And then on the way to work, because I, I drove like almost 120 miles per day. It was you crazy. Were in, you were in LA it's at insane. the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the only way to like get a um and I was living in a YouTuber house. And I was like, oh dude, this is what I really wanted to, right? <laughs> <laughs> but then my job, like it's really hard. It was very saturated for pharmacy. It was like uh 60 miles away, one way. So one one twenty on the way there, I would like listen to like Tony Robbins, uh Gary Vee. I started amassing this like book collection because I didn't want to stay in LA traffic, it wastes four hours of my day, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd read books. And then that sparked like the the entrepreneur side. But I was always too scared to just like quit and transition or something. There's something holding me back. And this is like this is where the neuroscience and beliefs we can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt like I almost didn't deserve to be like an an entrepreneur or something like that. I felt like there was some limiting belief there. And then it wasn't until my fifth year of pharmacy where like, man, all this shit, all this stuff happened like last minute. It was crazy. So like my employer found my YouTube channel. Mm. <laughs> they terminated me because of my YouTube channel. Wow. That's, that's why insane. if you ever if you ever see the hot takes, that's why I did it. Because I was like, dude, I was so PC before. I didn't like mm -hmm. I didn't like do anything crazy. I was like, okay, now I'm gonna say everything that's on my life. So that's why you <laughs> see those controversial takes on pharmacy. Cause honestly, like these are the conversations that happen behind the scenes that no one sees. Mm -hmm. But that happened that same week, literally that same week, my dad gets um admitted to a hospital and he had this like heart failure and I get the call. He's like, Hey, Kevin, you need to come back home. Like right now, like drop whatever you're doing and fly back. Hmm. And, um, I see my dad, I have a conversation. He's going through surgery. We don't know that he, he, that those were, that was my last conversation, yeah. Yeah. but I told him everything he was, ha that was happening. And my dad, very like avoidant. He's not, he wasn't very supportive for most of my life, but I remember the conversation we had and, and, one of the things he said was like, Kevin, don't worry. Like, we'll just figure it out as a family and stuff. And I told him like, what, what were some of your biggest regrets? And to be honest, I don't really remember what he said, but I remember <laughs> his, like the look on his face and the yeah. emotional connection I had with him. And I was like, I don't want to be like him. Mm -hmm. I'm still very, very young. I can take risks. I can make that decision. And then I told dad about like, you know, I just want to quit pharmacy. He was like, go do it. And that was mm -hmm. like, that was the moment. Yeah. yeah, that was the moment. That's, that's big, man. It sounds almost like I, re I relate in some ways to what you're saying there. Cause it felt like you already knew in your final year in pharmacy school that you, that this, you were already getting the inkling that this maybe wasn't for you, but you needed that five years, whatever period of time that was to kind of wrap your head around, okay, how am I going to make this happen? When I do make the jump, what is, what am I going to do? Did you know that it was going to start with YouTube? What did you know immediately what you wanted to jump out and do first? Or did that come kind of later down the line? 
You know, it's really interesting. So if you take any program or anything like that, they'll always tell you like niche down and stuff. Mm-hmm. Dude, mm-hmm. it's so hard for me to do that. I've only yeah. I only established my niche like last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I agree with you on that. Um, but more so on the side of yeah clients. You know, they say like mm-hmm. niche down to you do work for one specific client. Yeah, I'm like that is so difficult to do. <laughs> it's so difficult, and especially for someone like me. Um, I can like learn so many skills. If you ask me about copyright, I can talk about it. And you might think I'm actual copywriter, but I'm not like deep in the weeds into yeah. it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of it is kind of like was kind of like dating for me. Like I really, I'm part of the 2006 generation where YouTube just came out. I yeah, used to watch all these. Yeah, right. Yeah. We used to do. Uh, that's how I started. That's how I got into film, man. It was that's we used beautiful. to do. We used to do short comedy sketches on YouTube, and I was like, I saw it immediately with YouTube. I was yeah. like, this is this is it. This is it. And yeah. um, it was just. I mean, we grew up with it. That's when, if you posted anything, it would it would go off or something, you know. All and there was cat videos. <laughs> all the. I mean, there was a few because I used to love like F and D films. Yeah. Uh, I used to, I liked a lot of like the comedy groups, you know, there was, um, I'm trying to think of the big ones right now, but they're just, I'm blanking on them right now. Yeah. I really, I really miss those days, honestly, like those OG YouTube days. Mm-hmm. And, but for me, like, I was like, I went throughout pharmacy school regretting that, man, I want to start a YouTube channel, but I don't have the equipment. I don't, I, I go through the beginner, like yeah, beginner objections. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, so I started, like, I just started trying things, but I don't know. YouTube has always been that thing where it just felt right. I can't put my finger on it, but creating video content is just like right to me. It's easier than actually doing what you guys do right now, like shooting a podcast. I'm like, I can't tell you how many times I want to shoot a podcast, but I'm like, oh my God, it's so like, I have to figure out all this sort of stuff. It's easier for me to do a Chris Doe breakdown of the sales process in like 10 minutes and make it super high quality and stuff. I don't know. I'm just weird like that. You're a creator, man. You got to create. And uh, I went to business school. I I have a degree in marketing. And, uh, but I knew before then that what I wanted to do was, was production. Mm. Did you find, because when you talk about your experience in in pharmacy school, did you, and you said that you felt like you were almost like in a, in a cage, like you were like, your freedom was being restricted when you were there. I found that when I was in business school, it almost felt like creativity was being choked out of the room because all of the people I was surrounded by were all business, business minded, more numbers related. And I'm here coming in as a, I feel like right at smack in the middle, you know, I'm, I lean more creative and, but I'm very business centric and business minded as well. Mm. But I found like the amount of people I was surrounded with that were only focused on business. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm dying in this room right now. Like I can't, this is just, <laughs> I haven't, we have nothing. We don't think the same. Like we, they do not relate to the, like the desires I have in, to go in this direction here. Mm. Um, is that, I'm assuming that's kind of how you felt too. Like that was maybe playing a role in wanting to make that jumper or trying to figure out, okay, how can I get to where I can feel fulfilled in what I'm doing? No, it's so crazy. I would be that like, I'd be at my company. I would always have the top numbers for like sales numbers, metrics, like um, most adherent patients, right? Because I was building a relationship and I would do it in really innovative ways. And there would be like, how the hell did you do this, Kevin? I'm just like, I don't know. I just get an idea. I just do it. But then the, they they would always like 
critique me for like being out of the box, blah, blah, blah. There was zero innovation. It just choked the, the life out of me. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just really, really funny. And even with my current business partner, right? Lo- love the guy. We have the same values, but he's like a consultant, EY, uh, was almost a partner, right? But he had health issues, had to quit one year before. Mm-hmm. But he's very like logic minded and very business like focused, which balances us out actually. It's a really, really good thing. But when he like the other day, we actually had a conversation about our agency, and he was like, Man, I pitched this like irresistible offer, but there's all these objections and all this sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's missing the point. He needs the reason why they don't trust us. Uh, the reason why he's getting all these objections is because they don't trust us. Mm-hmm. I could promise you tomorrow, Mark, uh, Mario, mm-hmm. that like I'll make you a million dollars by tomorrow. But do you trust that I'll actually deliver that irresistible offer? Yeah, yeah. And that's the beauty of YouTube. That's the beauty of content because it builds a parasocial relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I was I was teaching my students yesterday, and I was just talking about how trust opens up the opportunity. Um, Trust opens up with the opportunity. Irresistible offers close the deal. They they help reduce the friction on that. It's yeah. beautiful. I think it, it creates also like this social proof too, you know, of mm-hmm. your content. Because uh, though your empl- your employer was so like antiquated in the way they were thinking of letting you go for that, yeah. I think nowadays there's such a strength in empowering an employee to pursue something like that. Because that's an employee empowerment thing, right? Where you're personally branding mm-hmm. yourself as a knowledgeable a sort a trusted source on the topics you're talking about just by the putting out the content even if you know a ton or you don't yeah like automatically you become kind of like this source of he knows what he's talking about and he's interested in these in these in these um topics obviously other people can suss out how much you know yeah. but um it's the benefits so outweigh the cons yeah it's kind of funny like i think about like that happened in 2018 and content is like praise these days right everybody's talking about content 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 i wonder sometimes i wonder if i would have gotten fired like in, in this day and age you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a mission that says you want to give practical education to help creators get paid doing what they love yeah what led you to shaping that and how how is that really shaping your all-around efforts because i kind of see everything you're doing as centralized around that goal yeah you know what's really interesting about like vision and mission and all these things no one tells you that it takes (laughs) because we all want to wake up and be like i know what my vision or mission is today yeah but it's like such a long journey for me and i've been like that's probably one of my weakest parts it's like being more focused and having that vision and mission so it happened just through like reading a lot of branding books being around like people like christo and then most recently uh i just met vanessa lau in real life and that's someone who i really respect she always like so she's a really great strategist and she's like so focused on that i'm not i'm not familiar with vanessa can you give like a oh, sure. for those who may not know who she is yeah so vanessa is um she's a youtuber she uh also is on instagram a lot she's known for her youtube hacks ig hacks and stuff like that mm. but she just has such a diehard like following it's crazy so that's like that's a short blurb on her um but yeah i went to her mastermind and then um i was meeting the people there 
And um, a lot of the people were just giving out everything for free. And I don't know if it was like watching, like I was watching Andrew Huberman at the time too. And I was like, you know what? The problem with the the world I'm in, inbound sales, is that everybody thinks it's sleazy. Everybody is trying to pitch you something. And it's like, even when they say they're not trying to pitch you anything, they're still trying to jam it down your throat. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, the thing that's always been really, really important to me is like education, right? Uh, like create, like I was, I was telling Helen, um, our mutual friend, like how I found these values. I was just looking through old photos and just trying to see the common themes throughout my life. So my childhood photos and it's like education, creativity, and relationships, mm-hmm. right? And so education was one of those uh, main values, right, for me. And I was like, why don't I just make everything zero cost? And ever since then, damn, like it's crazy. I've been getting crazy opt-ins. Even uh, it, my videos don't get as many views these days, but they go deep. Mm-hmm. And anyone yeah. that goes into my ecosystem, they're just like, holy shit, Kevin, give us this out for free. Because I know that education is great, but it's not going to be everything. There's just yeah. so much nuance that you need to implement. So that's kind of like the vision of it. And it really val- got validated even within the last month or two. I, I admire your approach to sales. And you mentioned that you incorporate the soft skills of healthcare into the entrepreneurial world. Can you elaborate a bit more on what you call a personalized professional neuroscience-based approach? Mm. And I would call it something else. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, because we we had a very similar similar approach to how we deal with clients. And mm. uh, I love it. So I kind of want to leave, leave you to elaborate on it yeah so anybody that like has been my client or has been my student for coaching engagements they always know like i was i would share stories of my failed like failed dating relationships Mm -hmm. or share like stories of my like friendships that didn't go too well Mm -hmm. um because i think we can learn a lot from the extremes like of things right like i think about my friendships that like no matter what I do, there's like unconditional love there. There's no way I can like fuck this up. Yeah. Right. Unless you do something drastic. But in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some ways, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like they're done with your family and kill Bill. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there's that side, and then there's the other side where it feels like very. I'm walking on eggshells, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot that we can learn and. When I was like learning sales, like when I jumped on my first sales floor, I was taught all the the things, like traditional things. Assume the sale, set the frame, like blast them, pitch them, pitch them, pitch them, all that. Don't talk about money until the very end. All these traditional things. But I always thought it was very weird. Like intuitively, like my gut was like, oh, I like I don't want to do this crap. Yeah, I was yeah. like, and I was like. And then one day I just got burnt out from it. I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to just have a conversation. I know the basic structure of sales. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to talk to them like a really, really good friend. And all of a sudden I started magically closing deals. I started beating out people that were like 15 years in the industry. Wow. And the more that I got rid of the traditional like high pressure tactics, the better things flowed. But I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. right it's it's kind of beautiful and then as i learned the neuroscience i learned that the neuroscience actually supports what i was doing but the relationship-based uh way approach so it was intuition based 
and then you backed it up like okay oh there's this is why this works that makes sense i, I remember early on in in my career mm. i would you know you play the comparison game i yeah. think it's natural right you see someone who's really good at what they do and you're like I'm not as good as that person at, at that, at least at this current stage, they have like 10 years on me or whatever, or yeah. even someone maybe who's more of a peer. And I remember thinking to myself as I got started, I was like, well, why are things working out? Like, why am I getting this opportunity? And so, and so, you know, things I've got to be doing something right. Mm -hmm. And I realized soft skills, the communication, there's an aspect of, of the creative process that a lot of people don't work on, or at least as a creative business is mm -hmm. that, Communi communication with the client, the client care, making, just trying to make their job easier, understanding that, you know, a critique is not a reflection on your identity. You know, it's, mm. they're paying you to do a job, you know, and I've yeah. never, I've really never had too much of an issue in that department. You know, a yeah. critique kind of, I, I may disagree with the critique or with an edit, but at the end of the day, if they're writing the check, if it's my project, I get to do what I want, you know, but they're the client. And so I always understood the, you know, that communication aspect. And I was like, oh, that's, that's my strength right now. That's one of my strengths. And that's one of the things taking it. Yeah. There's this intuition, like intuition I have about you, Mario, mm -hmm. where it's like, you're really good with people. You're really good with communication. I don't know. It's something about like, sometimes you can just tell. Thank you, man. It, it might be their pacing, the way that they talk or like the questions that you ask. You ask really great questions, by the way. I've been Thank on a lot of podcasts. And you do your research. I'm like, oh shoot, I, did I did I say that? <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you, Zach. I told you I'm good at asking questions. You I, always I say know. I'm not. I, I <laughs> never <laughs> told you you're not I'm good at asking questions. <laughs> I gotta I gotta give Zach shit from time to time. Just yeah. messing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's my way of deflect of deflecting compliments. Just push it. It's just humor. But um, I appreciate yeah. that, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're gonna get. Uh, there's some other questions that you might be like, "Wow, uh, you know, I can't believe we're talking about that." But one of them I'm actually gonna go to right now because we relate in some aspect. Your name of your company is Refugee Hustle, yeah. and you mentioned that that your grandmother inspired you in terms of the spirit behind um, that anything is possible. You talk, and you can talk more about her experience, but I can talk a little bit about mine. Yeah. Uh, my grandparents came from Cuba all of their property, everything was seized by the government for, I got this fly flying around my face right now, but um, <laughs> their property was all seized by the government and they had to come over here, language barrier. I mean, my mom's, my mom had a gold chain. She was two or three years old, ripped off her neck by a military official before they got on the plane to come over to America. And in many ways, they kind of laid the foundation for me to pursue what I'm doing today. Mm. to be able to take the risks that I'm doing today, those sorts of things. What what kind of role is seeing your family's sacrifice uh, kind of playing into it? Because I can see it in your mission and you talk about it, but I'm interested to, to hear that from you. Man, well, first of all, Mario, thanks for sharing that story. And like, I think um, one of the things that kind of resonates with me about your your family story is how like it was during that communist uh, era, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, yeah, mm -hmm. and it was happening all over the world, and even in China, like there was um, the Cultural Revolution, right? There was World War II with the Japanese, and then there's the Cultural Revolution where my mom uh, left and my grandma left. I think during World War II and stuff. 
And I don't know. I feel like a lot of those stories of hardship and like those, like when we talk about oppression, that's what I think about oppression. Mm-hmm. It's like having a gun to your face and being forced to accept these ideals. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times, like this day and generation, like maybe we forgot about that. Maybe we forgot about those stories. And there's something so visceral, like about those stories where it's like they're going through such a hard time. Like, so for example, my grandmother, right? Um, during World War II, uh, if you ever Google like the rape of Nanking, yeah, that's pretty yeah. much what was happening, not only in Nanking, but all like all in China. Wow. And so that's the Japanese invasion. And uh actually it's funny, if you ever get a chance to talk to any Chinese like grandmas, even Korean grandmas or anything like that. Mm-hmm. they still hold a grudge against it if the, any of them are still alive to this day right uh, yeah i that it's funny that you mentioned that i I'm, I'm a tv buff and a film and tv buff there was a show that came out on apple tv and i was completely pretty much unaware of mm-hmm. the korean japanese dynamic um it's called pachinko on apple tv and it's Ooh. about this um <clears throat> korean family and it goes generational. It goes like three generations. It's telling like three different stories, but combining them all at once to connect it. Mm. And it shows that how Koreans, when they migrated or immigrated to Japan and how there was a dynamic where they were treated as second-class citizens by the Japanese up until, I mean, it goes to the eighties, you know, and I'm sure still, there's still undercurrents of that sort of um, thing, but I was so unaware of it. And it, it resonated so much with um, not so much, Cube, I don't feel like Cubans have been treated as second class citizens in America. I think we've been welcomed very much. I think um, Americans have this thing where at least maybe we've forgotten these stories before, like these current day, but it feels like we embrace people who are running away from oppression and that are mm-hmm. coming to try to seek that the American dream, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Um, but sorry, continue kind of. No, 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 no. Like you're talking about the American dream and that's actually what I want to talk about where, where it's like, you know, you escaped this, like my grandmother, she escaped like the Japanese invasion and stuff during the Japanese invasion, um, came to America. My grandfather, my, my grandfather, he actually, um, was fighting in world war two American side. Wow. Um, apparently my, my grandfather's side is like fourth generation Chinese. Wow. Fighting against the um, the fascists, the actual fascists in like yeah. Italy during that time. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was some like gas, uh, like gas warfare or something like that. And he actually came back, developed a, a thyroid cancer, and died, leaving wow. my grandma like with five kids by herself. And like somehow she's figured it out. Like it wasn't easy, but she figured something out. And just like your family, she really laid the foundation where. I can take more. I can take more risks today. It's one of the reasons why I be, I could become a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. And just that story is just like so inspirational because she just figured things out. She didn't know. It's kind of interesting. You come to a country not knowing the language, not knowing anything about. Like you just hear this place, America, right? And you're just like, screw it, let's just go. But you, <laughs> it's like it's probably better than here. Uh-huh. Dude, how many people today would ever make that leap? I don't know. I don't know if I would make that leap personally. Mm. 
I you guess know. it. I guess it depends. I mean, we see it every day. We see people throwing themselves into rivers, you know, putting themselves yeah. in little boats. You know, when you see some of these boats that wash up from Haiti, because I'm from, I'm in Miami. But when you mm. see some of these boats that come across, you're like, how desperate do you need to be to put yourself on this rickety boat with thirty or forty people, yeah. and to get over here? It's it's we can't fathom it, and I think that's the reason we take things like in America we take things for granted, and sometimes we need a reminder. You know, of, hey, we have it good. This is the reason we have it good. Yeah, you know, that's we yeah. can't forget the history, though. Otherwise, we'll go back to it, or we'll fall to it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was walking the other day, and I, I have absolutely no idea why the thought crossed my mind. But I'm just like, you know, if I if I grew up in another country, didn't speak English, I was I was really wondering, like, would I would I be like, yeah, let me let me just go to this random place over there that I don't mm -hmm. know too much about. Um. I don't. I, I. I agree. I probably wouldn't. Honestly, it seems. It seems like a, it seems like such a major step. But um, it's crazy. It's yeah. Crazy. I don't, it really, really crazy. Yeah. It's. It's kind of interesting. I'll finish off with this last point. It's like the reason why I named it Refugee Hustle is like we can take that same ethos and apply it to our vision. Apply it to the things that we really care about. And for me, it was like I want a life to be like a creator. I want a life to like. Be an entrepreneur so I can set up generational wealth for my kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's the vision I want. So RIP grandma. <laughs> <laughs> now let's pivot a little bit. Uh sure. we go into I mean, there's so much we can talk about here, but you mentioned prioritizing high income skills. And obviously. Part of that led you to inbound inbound selling. You you are you're passionate about inbound selling. Can you define though what does that mean? What's the difference between a job and a skill? Clarify that. And then for those who may not know, what is high ticket closing mm -hmm. or selling? You know what's funny? I was doing my 2022 reflection and I was trying to do hot takes. Like, what are the most contra contrarian like views I have? And actually, I changed that one. I didn't update. I should probably update it, mm. but I came up with it like three days ago mm. um, because it came out during a podcast actually where it's like, I used to say, so your parents will always tell you like seek out a high paying job. That's why I did pharmacy, right? Mm -hmm. Your gurus online will tell you to pursue a high ticket skill, but something I discovered just through experience is like, that's great and all. But you're chasing the ends of meat. You're chasing the lagging metric. The thing that we should really prioritize is seeking high, um, high value experiences, and everything else will come. I think about like all the growth that I've had, and it's like I got to meet really cool people because I put myself in experiences. I prioritize learning over like the money and stuff. Because you're not gonna. I think sometimes society is like kind of weird. It's like. It, everything's supposed to be linear. I'm supposed to wake up in in a new Bugatti and stuff like yeah, that. But it doesn't yeah. it doesn't it's work microwave. that way. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work that way. Where's my Camry? It's Bugatti's here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and so when I think about like throwing myself out of pharmacy or my experience in pharmacy, my experience out of pharmacy, and my experience like starting this advisory, um, that's where I had the most growth, where I obtained the skills, the experiences, and the people, and all that sort of stuff. And most of all, I have memories, and yeah. I kind of can look back on them, and it's like pretty cool. And like you, you talked about high ticket closing. 
it's um there's a few things here it's known as high ticket closing inbound closing like a lot of different things high ticket sales all that mm -hmm. regardless it's all the same thing it's inbound mm -hmm. sales um and so like it's when people just like book appointments with you they set up uh they set up a time with you and then uh you just have a sales conversation and so you're doing that for companies on a contract basis obviously because you're not doing that on a, on a salary basis right so a company will bring you in who has an inbound sales focus and mm -hmm. they'll hire kaizen closing to handle any in inbound inquiries coming in yeah so when i first started i was <laughs> i was the one doing all the work i was yeah, i yeah. was closing i was doing all that <clears throat> but over time as i was doing better and better work i was like Okay, so something that people may not know, dude, sales calls drain the crap out of me. They oh, really yeah. drain me a lot. If you're doing a good job and you're listening and you're trying to tactically empathize, it's like, oh God, like I just feel like the life being sucked out of me. So <laughs> I have to be very strategic when I do sales calls and when I don't. And so that's when I started building out like a team, but an agency. And then I was just like, oh my God. This is a lot of work. I have to manage people and that takes a lot of mm -hmm. things out of me. And so then I, I moved on to strategy, which is my favorite. And it's the most impactful because you make a few tweaks and then like in their sales conversations, you lower the pressure, you um, add certain questions, you take out certain questions and you'll see the conversion just fly through the roof. Hmm. It's really, really amazing. So for strategy, are you creating an entire inbound strategy for them or seeing what they're already doing and then tweaking it or maybe both it's a mix of both because mm -hmm. like uh one of my consultant friends my my partner for the agent uh, for the lead generation agency that i'm a partner mm -hmm. of one of the lessons he taught me was like you don't go in guns blazing right like that's how you get the most resistance um in the catalyst they talk about uh reactants mm -hmm. right when you push hard people are going to push back mm -hmm. it's like Mario, uh, you don't want to buy? Here's 10 more reasons why you should buy. And then it becomes this fight dynamic, which from a neuroscience point of view, it triggers that survival state, triggers self-preservation, turns off empathy. It's like, that's kind of weird. Don't you want those things on, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. So it's just really, really interesting. I tend to take a long approach when it comes to sale. I mean, I just try to be a trusted source. You know, you may not hire every service that we do, but know it's there. And we're not trying to just get you for every single dollar you have. It's, we want to provide value. I always operate in that. I almost, I've turned down certain clients simply because I say, you shouldn't focus on video right now. Like you just started, you just launched your business. Right now is not the time to, to spend X amount on a video. Right now, mm -hmm. you got to get this in order. I'm here whenever you want, but I find that more effective because that's what I would want somebody to do for me, you know, to tell me, hey, you know, your ducks, you got to get them in a row. I'm always here. You call me whenever, but, you know, I could easily say, hey, you want to pay me that check and we'll do the video? Fantastic. But it's not going to perform the way you want it to if you don't have these other um, things in order. Yeah, I think it builds trust, right? Like it, it, you're you're showing that you know you're you're keeping them in mind, right? Like you're you're mm -hmm. you've got their best interest in mind as well. So I I do like that. Have you guys read the Trust Advisor at all? No, I haven't. Mm -hmm. You guys will like this because, like, in the Trust Advisor, um, 
it's on my top shelf somewhere, but it has this uh, formula called the trusted advisor formula. Mm-hmm. And there's a few elements of it, like credibility, intimacy, all that. But the most important one, it's at the very bottom. It's the bottom quotient. Yeah. It talks about self-orientation. Mm-hmm. And that, my like in my opinion, that's the most important one. Because like you'll read stories on, like literally I found stories on Reddit where people like shot themselves out of a commission, right? But the clients still try to find a way how to help them and make sure that they hit the commission quota or something like that. And that's how you build trust. And like, when I'm just like, if I was you, Mario, I was like, yeah, you shouldn't focus on video right now. That goes against your kind of like self-interest almost. Mm -hmm. And that builds such a level of trust. And that's the beauty thing about the neuroscience behind that too. It activates our prefrontal cortex where it's collaboration, empathy, creative thinking, long-term thinking. And now, we can build this bond. So that's why I focus on relationship based because like when you focus on the relationships, the neuroscience says it turns, it activates like our, our highest self hmm. uh, where we can actually like critically think and all that. Let's dive into the neuroscience a bit. Uh, Zach, do you yeah. have any questions on, I, on, on books? Cause I know you had a, a bunch of. Well, I do, but before I ask anything about that, I was kind of curious, right? Like, so when you're, when you're pivoting to focus more on that relationship building during the sales process, you know, do you typically see like a much longer sales cycle before a, a commitment or does it stay the same or potentially even reduce that time to close? That's a good question. Thanks. For me? <laughs> So it's kind of funny. So I went through these transitions of like, mm-hmm. so when I first started sales, my conversations were so inefficient. They would take like yeah. two, three hours long. I talked to old salespeople like, yeah, we stay on the phone for two to three hours just battling objections, right? Mm-hmm. But then I started getting better and I started narr- like, it started getting shorter. And I think these days, my sales cycles are pretty short. Like my call durations are pretty short. Because I try to focus it all up front, upstream versus downstream handling objections and all that. I want to bring everything up front first. So I do yeah. my best to focus on that. And then um, sometimes we might need to hop on a second call. Usually, like I actually prefer hopping on a separate call because I want yeah. them in their like executive state. I don't want them in a survival state making a decision. Because something that Christo always talks about is like avoiding relationships um, based out of resentment. And that's the one thing I don't want. That's why people try refund, charge back, and all that because you're you're driving them, um, you're manipulating them toward a decision, and that might not be the best for them. And they're the ones that have to. It's like if it doesn't work out, who pays the consequences? Me or the the client? The client does. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I like to draw my calls out to t- at least two calls uh, minimum. But yeah, okay, interesting. I'd like to, there's a couple of things I want to talk about here, mm-hmm. but one kind of ties in with, with, with the other. I've been told specifically, Kevin knows a ton about how to activate flow in your brain and why we get into survival mode. <laughs> <laughs> who, told you, who told you that? <laughs> I'm going to keep the source anonymous, <clears throat> Helen. <clears throat> but, um, you know, there's a balance that you need to hit between working hard hustling and then thinking and strategizing Mm. and you mentioned how last year in 2022 you 
you accomplish the most by doing nothing at times. Uh, I can relate to that where when I was in college and even now, uh, when I would study, I would be studying, I'd be reading chapters just to kind of like get prepared for an exam. Sometimes the best thing I could do was just to drive around for an hour and do nothing and just reflect and just reflect, ask myself questions, kind of talk out loud. And that was like a way of kind of strategizing, coming up with ideas to remember things in business. It's the, and running a business and trying to succeed and stay in business. You, I I'm harsh on myself. If I'm not working myself to the bone, like I have this just unnecessary amount of harshness when it comes to, if I'm not working every hour from nine to five and even after hours, I'm not doing enough. It's almost like, how do you shut it off? But then I also very much value and know I might work 30 minutes in a day, but I spent a lot of time doing nothing or what we call nothing is more like if I hit the gym or if I go for a walk mm -hmm. or go for a run or anything that just requires, um, you're always thinking and always strategizing. That's the way we are. And so you come up with an idea that's worth more than 40 hours of, of just grinding work or staring at your computer. How do you balance that? And how does that, does that go tie into the survival mode aspect of the, of the brain as a business owner? Yeah. It's so interesting. <clears throat> so when we talk about survival for a second, how do we respond to survival? You might see a threat, you know, back in the OG, OG days, we see a tiger. I'm not sure if you see a tiger in Cuba, but <laughs> you see a tiger. <laughs> something. I don't know if it's a tiger, but <laughs> you see a tiger. And then how do we respond? Oh, it's a fight, flight, or freeze response, right? For example, in sales, when someone, uh, when you dropped the price because you were prolonging money the whole time and you didn't address mm -hmm. any of their concerns, they fight. They throw objections at you. They argue with you. They uh, flight. They ghost you, or you freeze. I need to think about it, right? And so, a lot of times, when we have a certain belief by ourselves, uh, like a certain belief um, or certain thoughts, can trigger this response. And so, like one of the things that that was really difficult for me, just like you, Mario, is like I would be working twenty four seven. It was so bad that it started like affecting my uh, intimate relationships, my romantic relationships, and all that. And deep down inside, I started developing this belief that I couldn't have, I couldn't ha be in a romantic relationship because I didn't deserve it. And so, what would I do? I'd fight harder. So, working, working, working. And I think like working is like. Hustling, learning to hustle is a really great skill. I think all young people need to endure that for a point. Mm -hmm. But how old are you, Mario? I, I never asked. I'm 30. You're 30? Mm -hmm. Okay. So like around 30 years old, I was like, dude, this isn't sustainable anymore. I can't do this. Right? I'm having health problems. There's so much thing. There's so many things going on. And we have to realize like survival isn't bad, but it's not meant for long duration. The reason why I was getting all this, like, because I was having the adrenaline dump, I was having the cortisol uh, release from the stress I was going through, which, um, which increases your insulin, and you get, uh, you get diabetes from that. Mm. You can get uh, type two diabetes from that, or sorry, it increases your blood sugar. Yeah. 
which increases your blood pressure, all that. There's a whole physiological cascade. Yeah. And that's something we don't realize. But, and like during that time, it's like our survival is like self preservation. We're only focused on ourselves. We're not like taking the time to listen. Have you ever been in an argument before and you're just like, <laughs> you're you're going back and forth. It feels like a world star hip hop like fight, <laughs> and be like, wait, let me just take the time to understand. No one's ever like that in a world yeah. star hip hop fight. Yeah, right? yeah. But that's what kind of de escalation is. It's a transition into the executive state where your prefrontal cortex turns on. Have you ever heard that quote about like you only use like thirty percent of your brain at a time? Like I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it. That's because we're in survival. I don't know the exact percentage, but like our prefrontal cortex is a large mass in our brain. And that's responsible for, like I said, the creativity, the empathy, understanding. And um, especially in our work, right? We want that creative thinking. We want that long-term thinking. And if we can learn to access it a lot more, then we get better ideas. We can find those ideas that that 30-minute idea that compensates for the next year. Mm-hmm. And even like even great business strategists, there's a really great book I'm reading right now mm-hmm. uh, that was recommended by Vanessa and uh, George Bryant. It's called The Road Less Stupid. I like that. The <laughs> Road Less Stupid. It's really crafty. So I'll, t- I'll give a quick blurb about it, like two-sentence blurb. Basically, the theory is <laughs> smart people do dumb things. Mm-hmm. How do you reduce the dumb things that you do? It's through thinking time. And through thinking time, you ask yourself better questions. Have you ever had those, like, even on sales calls, right? You ask a question and you're like, oh my God, I never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. That's turning on the executive state. It's really, really interesting. And the better that you can ask questions, there's a few ways that you can uh, manipulate this, right? You can yeah. kind of do gratitude exercises, right? So I usually do a gratitude exercise before a big performance. I was going to ask you, yeah, how, how do you combat the survival state or mindset? Yeah. If I'm really nervous on a sales call and I'm like talking like this really, really fast, mm-hmm. I'll slow down. I control my breathing. I do like um, a modified box breathing. I do a mm-hmm. longer exhale, like eight seconds exhale. Mm-hmm. I do four, four, eight, four throughout my presentation. And then I try to ask myself better questions too right um have you ever noticed like chris voss always talks about this have you ever read never split the difference oh, you're, you're entering yeah. Zach's territory here. i love i love that book yeah so what does chris voss say about why questions it's been a while since i've read that book <laughs> <laughs> i'll jog your memory then Do it. i mean i mean yeah as you remember zach and never uh-huh. I, I remember it's, it's somewhere in my brain <laughs> Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Like all that, that whole book is all about how to activate someone's executive state. If you think about mm-hmm. it, labeling someone's emotions. Mm-hmm. Hey, Zach, it seems like there's a bit of hesitation. You're labeling the emotion. They're forced to think about how they're feeling. It turns on the executive state. When I ask a why question, like unstrategically, I'm like, Mario, why would you do that? It's defensive immediately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think about my parents. I'm like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it's like, like or you'd ask me why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> World star <laughs> hip hop, right? Yeah, yeah. But like, when someone's in a survival f- mode and you ask, like, oh, Mario, how are you feeling? That feels kind of weird, but that's something that you ask in like 
a executive state. So what's the transition? How do you transition it? Hey, what if that wasn't the case? What would what is the translation in between the survival to the executive state? And that's how those are three ways that I usually kind of enter the executive state and shift out of the survival state. Hmm. It's probably more, but that that's what comes to mind. Interesting. I, I love all the hearing the different ways of of doing that. I mean, I heard a good one once. It was from Bob Goff, who he says if he's ever about to have like he's trying not to be angry or to overreact and get into some sort of situation. He yeah. says, so, like, under the desk, he'll put both of his hands, like, it's hard. usually when you're angry, you're, you're, like, balled up in a fist. Like, that's what we associate mm. it with. He'll have yeah. his hands like this. And he says, it is so hard to, like, be angry at somebody if you're yeah. like, in a giving posture, like, to, to yell at them or to, to get in that way. I was like, I've never thought about that. Ooh, that's interesting. I never thought about, like, power poses yeah. and, like, all that. <laughs> he, um, I mean, you you came from probably making six figures and healthy six figures in pharmacy and yeah. then you kick off your business and i'm assuming it wasn't immediately six figures right out the gate so you probably got into a a, a survival mode of how am i going to pay the bills i mean i got a i got a cushion here i got um what do we call it um runaway mm, yes how did you how did you get to the point now because you i mean you're smoothly operating now in terms of like the way you're dealing with it. But what were those struggles like of, as like a new business owner trying to deal with the insecurity of, Hey, I'm, I'm not making as much and I don't maybe see a path on how I'm going to get to, you know, a comfortable living again. <clears throat> you know, it's really interesting. I think from the outside, it looks like I have all my shit together. <laughs> but oh, yeah. deep down inside, I'm just like, but when I zoom out, I look over time, right? It's like it's huge fluctuations, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then like now it's like I see these huge fluctuations, but trending upward and it's like not as not as crazy as before. Not as violent. Yeah. Yeah, volatile. Yes. So like as a new business owner, <laughs> luckily, like that's the one good thing about pharmacy. I had tons of money because of it. I was like, even when I was a pharmacist, I was making 150K per year i was like my friends yeah. were like what you're sleeping on a japanese futon which is like basically a mat on the ground pretty much right yeah. um i had very little and i've always like operated on that principle because you just i don't know maybe it's like from my grandma like my grandmother's like generation and stuff too because i was raised by her mm -hmm. um i'm not cheap on people but like for everyday living i like to keep it minimal yeah right? intentionally totally. So dealing with the fluctuations, I think like over time, my money with relation, my relationship with money has had to change because in that world, like even in the business world too, like a lot of times we associate our self-worth with uh, money. And when I like some months when I was learning, I wouldn't make a single cent or maybe I make a hundred bucks to add cents on YouTube. I lied. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> But it was like, it was really, really tough. And I had to dissociate myself from the money beliefs and stuff like that. I've always viewed money as, I mean, sure, there are some material things. I think we all want to have like a nice house and, you know, certain things like that. But really, what I've always viewed money as is a, a way to get to freedom, a way to get to freedom of time, which is money. The ability to 
be able to take that risk that maybe a father of four cannot, you know? Hey, because mm, yeah. there's yeah. different priorities. You get to that and it's like, all right, dreams got to go second here. Got to make sure everybody's fed. Um, so I've always kind of had that, that viewpoint too, um, in terms of adjusting the relationship with it, you know? Yeah. What's, sorry, oh, go ahead. No, no, you, oh, go. you can go ahead. Anyways, I guess that what I was trying to get at with that question was, what is that? You know, actually, let's save that question. Let's save the question for the last one. And then when we get to the rapid fire, because mm. it's, it's more of an encompassing your journey over the years and how you've changed as a person and, and evolved. But mm. I wanted to hit you with uh, one last practical one. And it's, it's a controversial statement, maybe. But you say something about the world doesn't need another guru. I was wondering two parts to this. Does it have anything to do with Tony Robbins documentary, I'm Not Your Guru? on netflix which you haven't watched it you used to check it out because you seem like a tony robbins fan yeah and then the second part and we agree on this you mentioned to you put on your website you won't have to quit your job tomorrow invest in a guru course or go on an ayahuasca trip to south america soul searching the missing piece is already deep inside of you i agree so wholeheartedly with that statement. And I think we all fall into the trap or have fallen into the trap of, I have to uh, uh, just gain this vast amount of knowledge before I even begin, instead of failing your way towards success, which everybody has to do, you know, if however long you want to put it off. Yeah. What do you, what are your thoughts on that in terms of how do you help somebody find what's already deep within them? And how do you balance that you know, knowledge you need to be competent, right? But at the same time, not letting it be a way that that puts off what you need to do. There's so many things that come up to mind right now. And I think like, okay, going back to the guru thing, um, Tony Robbins, I did watch that, but wasn't inspired by that. Yeah. Um, it was actually inspired by like seeing the rise of all these like fake guru channels and stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't really like those channels to be honest with you. I don't consume them, mm -hmm. but I noticed this like type of thing of like the, the whole guru thing. And I've been in like guru programs before, right? Mm -hmm. The aggressive. And if you don't know what a guru is like for listeners, it's like a aggressive online marketer. Mm -hmm. Right. And what are they doing? They're triggering survival. If we think about it, Money is a modern day survival. You said earlier, sometimes you got to reprioritize things. Kids got to eat all this, but that's why it tr like things like true, money yeah. trigger our survival. Yeah, true, true. Right. And there's this great book. It's called cash retising. Uh, actually there's only one concept I like in the book where it talks about the, <laughs> the life force eight in the yeah. nine human design, uh, nine human, um, human wants. And these are learned right? The human wants are learned. So for example, money is a want, but what do we really want? Oh, life extension, to be loved, hmm. relationships. It's a really, really interesting concept. But what these gurus will do sometimes, they'll trigger that survival state and then they'll tie it to the, the want of the, your like true human desires, hmm. the life yeah. force eight, and they manipulate that way. And then when you jump on a sales call with them, they're like, well, you know, what do you want to do, Kevin? You clearly have a choice. 
if you buy now through all these extra incentives and stuff like that mm. it puts us in survival and we're like shit i need to do something and you run into something mm. but how do you know if that decision is actually good for us healthy for us are we running into a deeper danger right that's why that's why earlier in my sales process i was always talking about like i'm always trying to avoid um, especially as a service provider, I'm always trying to avoid relationships of resentment, right? And so, like, to go back to what I, uh, what you mentioned earlier, you don't need another guru. You you don't need to invest in another guru course. So, what do you need? You need what we talked about earlier: friends, trusted advisors. All my trusted advisors are actually, ironically, my really great friends, right? So I think about like my jujitsu coach at like Eddie Bravo's and stuff. Mm -hmm. Really great, really great trusted advisor, Vanessa Lau, um, my consultant friend, a lot more, right? We need another friend or trusted advisor. And when we're not alone, when we have people around us that actually care about us, that we're, we're actually fostering these relationships, it turns on that executive state I was talking about earlier. And to tie it in with ayahuasca, when we do LSD, ayahuasca, any of these hallucinogenics, what does that do? We have these profound visions and stuff like that. Part of that actually turns off our, uh, our, our um, amygdala, which is responsible for the fear center, like mm -hmm. flight, flight, freeze. And what does it do? It activates our prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for all the creativity that we have. And so... You don't, the reason why I say you don't need an ayahuasca trip mm -hmm. is because we can instill these practices of meditation, self care, all these different things to activate this at will. It's really, really beautiful. Have you ever heard of people like doing, like on YouTube, like DMT release with meditation? Yeah. yeah. Or it works. Yeah, yeah. Or just, and it's not to say that those things aren't maybe helpful in some way to somebody, but. I've seen things like seven week silence meditation going into the woods and not talking for, you know, I've seen <laughs> stuff that. like that. It seems like everybody has like their thing, right? Like if mm -hmm. you ever see the ice plunge people, and by the way, I yeah. think all of these things are positive yeah. and all have their benefits, but it's not the only thing yes. that you need to do. Uh, can you give some, I mean, it, you can obviously tell just by t like listening and talking to you, you're a voracious reader. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been staring at the books in the background the whole time. time. Yeah, I'm trying to like, what is that book? I, I have four more bookcases, by the way. I'm, just I'm FYI, sure. I've got I've got a couple here. We haven't dived into it much, and we probably won't get to it in this interview about your book reviews. But what is your approach to book reading? What are some practical tips that people can can apply in their own lives to not only reading a book, but like what you're doing? You're you're pulling such practical retaining application and retaining. Yeah. What kind of tips do you give to retain and to apply the lessons learned from books? And also, you do a good job of filtering which what doesn't align with your values and what you think works and filtering that out, but still finding a good in it. Yeah. So to answer your question, I'm going to quote a book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for real, though, but... Um, one of the books that I really look up to is by Naval Ravikant. It's one of Christo's favorite mm. books. Um, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Um, 
ironically it's not written by naval ravikant that's funny um, sorry can you hear that by the way no. there's like the lawn person in the back not at all no no okay good so yeah naval ravikant is one of vanessa's favorite books one of christo's favorite books um but in the book he actually talks about reading and if we distill reading like what is reading it's like sifting through ideas so sometimes like we have this idea of reading where we bring out a book we got to sit there for hours and be like okay i'm done read it front to cover but mm -hmm. naval he argues like no you should actually read several books at a time you should flip through them and one of the things that i've been personally doing is being a little bit more intentional about my reading so if I'm reading, so if I'm teaching a class like for my cohort, right? I'm just like, okay. So I'm talking about psychology today. What are the reasons for buying? I'll like literally search through my library physically. That's why I have physical books because yeah. like there's something so cool about the. Um, I agree. The experience yeah. of picking up 100%. a physical book. Hundred yeah. percent. And I'll sift through a book, and I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting idea. I remember this idea. So I do that. I also take notes on all my books too. So I use like a few apps called like Readwise and it integrates with my notion board and stuff like that. Oh, nice. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> that's next level. So I you're gotta, building out your second brain. I use notion. So I got to figure out how to set that up in there. You need to take notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, that's I, one thing I really don't do. It's, I don't, re I don't either. it's really cool. It integrates with everything. You can take a photo of like a certain passage. It'll keep that quote, uh, keep the page. It will like do everything for you. So I use that. I use that personally. And I integrated it in my notion. And then in addition to that, um, I use this app called Shortform, uh, where like it has like these really in-depth book reviews. It's kind of like Blinkist, but honestly, I like it more than Blinkist because it's like there's a one pager and then there's like chapter by chapter summaries and stuff like that. And I'll just sift through the ideas. Sometimes like I want to read a book, but I don't know if it's worth, worth it or not. Yeah. So then I'll just skim through it. So that's like kind of like what I do, but then most importantly, I try to apply it. So like I either try to teach it or just implement it into the I love business. that. I love yeah. that. So let's do a little story hour here. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Road Less Stupid. Road Less Stupid. Okay. Yeah. Are you reading more than one book right now? I am. <laughs> I, <Well>, am. <laughs> <laughs> I think I posted on my Instagram recently, but you I was made, reading. You made me feel a lot better because if you see right there, I got about five or six books started at the same time here, but I'm not, I got to be more disciplined of allocating the time to each one. I'm with you oh, on yes. that. So I have, I have the list over here. Like okay. I have this photo of like all the books I shot was reading at like the casino. Uh-huh. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> Let me look it up. Uh, the books I'm reading, the road less stupid. How will you measure your life? Uh, how to not die alone. Cause I don't want to be single for the rest of my life. Little oh, yeah. book of clarity. 10x is easier than 2x. Those are the books I'm reading. Cool, cool. So cool. I'm I'm curious. I, I'm I'm assuming that you're you're prioritizing obviously the, the retention of information over just quantity, right? Like it's quality instead of quantity. How yeah. many b books do you typically end up reading in in a given year to try and make sure that hey, I'm retaining the information uh, within the within the book versus just trying to plow through it all. You know, I go through phases. There's sometimes where I feel like I need to read a book every single day. I've gone through those phases. Other yeah. times I'm just like, no, it's like I need to focus on like execution and implementation. 
So like it really varies, but I think in a given year, I don't know. I probably go through this like whole bookcase like maybe like two or three times ish. So I read quite a bit, but like wow. I don't know. It's hard to quantify actually. Okay. Do you enjoy I, any fiction or is it business centric only? Dude, nothing will like put me <laughs> put me sleep than reading like Twilight or something like that. <laughs> I used to read Harry Potter when I was in fifth grade, but no, nah, like That's... it's mostly fiction, personal development, business, uh, psychology, a lot of psychology these days. Okay, cool, cool. All right, let's uh, round out the interview here. I have, I mean, there's way more on my list here to ask you about, but we'll save some for a future future pod. Yeah. From the beginning of your journey till now, what does growth look like for you? How's your how's you how have you changed mentality wise? And you've shared so much, but what you know, overcoming what you've overcome, losing a parent, uh, those are impactful things. Making a career change, and I know we say you quit pharmacy, but I don't think that's the right word to use. I think you took on another challenge because pharmacy is is always there if you if you wanted to refall in love with it or something like that happens. But it's something else. You were called to another purpose. What does that journey look like for you to round out the interview? And then we'll go into what we call the rapid fire inside the business studio. <laughs> I can't <Outro>. wait. <laughs> As you're saying all that, I was like reflecting on a lot of the things that happened over these five years. And I actually just finished my five-year reflection too. And I think the biggest thing over these last few years is just learning how to find my true essence, my true self. I know that sounds kind of like woo-woo and stuff, but when I look at everything I do, everything from jujitsu to the business like opportunities I'm in to doing my YouTube channel, everything just feels aligned. And I feel like this is my true essence. This is what I was meant to do. And I think the thing I'm most proud of myself over these last few years and just throughout my life <clears throat> is being able to like learn how to strategically turn off my survival brain and just enter into my executive state and that's why these days like i don't spend as i try to avoid as much time like staying busy and just being more intentional about things hmm. and it's kind of interesting you see all these like top level like entrepreneurs talk about like self-care and all this and now i kind of finally get it because I've been on the other side of like burnout, always need to work. Like I like Asian work, like Asian Asian work, um, like worth work ethic. Like when you're in high school and all that is real. Mm -hmm. You're always in constant survival. You feel like you're not going to be like loved by your parents. You feel like you're a dishonor to your family. Like those points where I felt almost like suicidal because I was like, I'm not going to hit this grade. I'm like, I'm a failure to the family. I'm a disappointment to the family. And going from that to where I am now, where it's like, you know, no matter what, Kevin, you got your own back and like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's how I came to the insight of like, don't chase, don't chase high paying jobs. Don't chase high income skills. Chase high value experiences, the one that you, you'll forever remember and uh, have major takeaways and from. That's awesome. Thank you, Kevin, for sharing and being, as always, introspective and just uh, vulnerable, too, and sharing yeah. a lot of your experiences. All right. So 
to round out the show, I don't know if you've listened to an episode of ours before, but one of my favorite shows growing up was called Inside the Actor Studio, uh, hosted mm. by James Lipton, and he'd hire yeah. all the star actors in, in Hollywood, and he would end every show with a rapid fire that I've pretty much almost completely stolen, but I've, I've edited a little bit. But it's essentially, you know, a Rorschach test and quick questions to, to get a feel for who you are. Sure. Okay. And we'll start it off here. Let's go. Kevin Yee, Kevin Yee, inside the business studio. What is your favorite word? Authentic. What is your least favorite word? Uh, manipulating. <laughs> what gets you going? Motivates. Relationships. What puts you off? Sleazy salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? 808 drums on hip hop. Nice. What sound or noise do you hate? Crying babies on airplanes, especially. <laughs> you know, that question has become my one of my favorites in this edition. Because yeah. <laughs> everybody breaks from the serious have to answer something serious and then they just go to like their innate instinct like our last episode is my good friend uh mo, mo camp who's a professional basketball player yeah and, uh he goes the knife on the plate like if i hear it i gotta go i gotta leave <laughs> i was cracking up what profession other than your own would you like to attempt oh professional jujitsu um uh, fighter cool cool what profession would you not like to do? Ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm just shooting what's ever on my well, mind. Well, first thing on your mind, that's this is how it works, man. <laughs> yeah. What is a bit of advice or wisdom you wish you knew before starting your own company? Or your Follow own venture? Follow your gut. What do you want your legacy to be? Impact. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for joining the show. And for the audience out there, we're going to let Kevin plug all his stuff, but go check out his YouTube content. It's insightful. It's uh, vulnerable. Uh, and just, yeah, what you heard today is what you get on that content. So Kevin, <laughs> thank you again for joining. And please Thanks. let us know where we can find you and how you want people to follow you. Sure. Yeah. If you like to follow me, and just build a genuine friendship you can go refugeehustle.com slash links has my instagram has everything that i do so make it easy perfect but, perfect mm -hmm. thank you man this has been a pleasure i hope to have you on again in the in the future mm -hmm. and um i definitely want to keep connecting with you and you know i think this is the beautiful thing about the future pro group is that we didn't know each other before and it's about these relationships you build and uh yeah looking forward to the future thank you Awesome. All right, Zach, you hit us with the outro here. Well, thank you for listening to the Soapbox Business Show. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts, or you can visit a website at soapbox.house. You'll find links out to this podcast and a few others we have on the network. Mm -hmm.